All right, so we, we saw last week, I guess, why is the weather? We're faithful and rebellious. God loves us, and uh, he's going to do what he needs to do to uh, chase after us and uh, pursue us and get us where he wants us to be. Um, we we uh, went, we did finish chapter one, correct? Oh, good. I just had a brain freeze. I'm like, did I finish that? Okay, good. So verse 17, back up there, because this is where we left off. Verse 17, now the Lord had prepared a great fish to swallow up Jonah, and Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. And so, so God had prepared the fish, uh, he had prepared the storm, he is doing what he needs to do in the life of Jonah to get his attention. And, um, and again, this is just a great picture of God's love, this whole book. Did it feel like love to Jonah? No, it never does when God is chasing us this way or chastising us, but that is what God is doing. God is getting his attention. God is going to accomplish. God is going to win, just like with Jacob when he wrestled with God. God let him wrestle with him for a while until God said, all right, enough is enough, and God you know, said, uh, you're going to be done there. And that's where this chapter picks up, chapter 2. So it says, then, then Jonah prayed unto the Lord his God out of the fish's belly. Um, so Jonah begins to pray. Wasn't he asked to pray a little earlier? Remember the ship yesterday came, the storm was coming, and he said, hey, wake up. We pray to our God. We need you to pray to your God, because maybe your God's this God who's doing this. And we're not sure if Jonah did pray or faith a prayer, or we're not sure what he did, but it wasn't until Jonah gets thrown overboard that he begins to pray. Um, I can't help but wonder, when, when Jonah said, there's no other way, like, is there any other way? And he said, no, there's no other way. You have to throw me overboard. When, when he, he understood, I'm going to die, right? And he's, I'm rebelling, I'm not going to do this. I don't care if God has to kill me, pick me up. And as, he, as they're getting ready to throw him over, he's still... I'm not going to get this right with God. Throws him over, gets in the water, and what's he do? He prays and he repents, right? You're like, why in the world did it take him that long to repent? Results? He's angry, right? He's not that uncomfortable yet. Yeah, he's, he's uncomfortable, but not totally uncomfortable. Yeah, we want to have our way. We're going to have the last say. Yeah. And the thing swallows him up and he starts crying. I'm praying. It's like, why wait that long? Then we look in the mirror, don't we? Why do you and I wait that long? Why do we get to the point where, where when we know we're taking a step or two in the wrong direction, God starts to get our attention, we're like, no, 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 and finally we... It's not until God comes down hard on us that we say, all right, I will get this right. And that's where he was. In, in, in the belly of the fish, he starts to cry and pray out to the Lord. And in verses, <clears throat> verses 2 and following, we're going to see that Jonah, again, this is really all we know of Jonah, other than the passage in First Kings chapter 14, I think. We don't really see him in Scripture a lot, but we know he was there. We know God was using him. 
but he's a prophet, he's been used of God, and we're going to find out in, in the next several verses that Jonah knew the scriptures, and he knew the scriptures well. But he's going to quote some scriptures, not the whole scripture, but he's, he's going to take a bunch of scriptures and kind of mesh them together. You ever do that with a song? You know, you're like, you know, half, and you're singing half the lyrics to one song, half the lyrics to another song, and you kind of make sense to you, or maybe you're quoting a verse of scripture, you're quoting a verse, and then you're quoting another verse, and you're kind of putting them together. We're not sure if he's doing this on purpose, or if these are just random verses that have come to his mind, and he's calling them out to the Lord. But one of the great things we know is he knew the scriptures. He knew a lot of scripture, and he was quoting scripture to God. Now, is that an appropriate way to pray? Yeah. It's often good when, we, when we're going through a, a problem or a trial to bring up some of the things that God has promised in His Word. Hey, God, well, you said this, <laughs> and here we are, and I, I need you. You tell me you're a friend that will stick closer than the brother, right? And God, I need you right now to stick closer to me. Or, or God, you promised never leave me or forsake you. God, I start, I'm starting to feel like I'm being forsaken. You promised that won't happen. And this is kind of what Jonah's doing. I gave you a book a little while ago um, that talked about that, about praying the scripture. I don't know if anybody read that or not, but it's a good little book that talks about how, how it's one of the great ways of praying is claiming verses of scripture, claiming promises in God's word, and bring them up to God. Say, this is what you said. Because is, has God ever said, oh, I know I said that, but I didn't really mean that? No, he always means what he says. So there's nothing wrong for me or for you to take Scripture. No, we can't take it out of context. But we can't claim something that isn't for us and say, well, you said this. We have to seriously take context, bring it up and say, God, but the Word of God says this. Since I'm your child, this is what you said, and I'm claiming it. I'm asking you to do this for me right now, because right now I need your help. So that's kind of what Jonah's going to do in the midst of this problem. It says this, verse 2. And... And Jonah said, I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord, and he heard me. Out of the valley of hell cried I, and thou heardst my voice. Um, the word hell there speaks of Sheol, the, the place of the dead, the grave, so to speak. Jonah said, I was in the grave. Now, literally, had God not spit him up, that would have been his grave, right? Not God. Had the well not, the fish not spit him up. That would have been his grave. And that's where he felt like he was going to die. And he cries unto the Lord. And, and did God hear him? How did he know God heard Because he knows God hears prayer, right? So he knows that God heard him because God hears the prayer of the righteous. But wait a minute. He's not acting righteous right now. Although he's repenting. So here's a righteous person who's been backslidden, who's now understanding I need to get right with God, and now he's praying for the first time in a while from the belly of this fish, and he's crying. Why is he crying? What's the same verse still? of the affliction. And sometimes it takes affliction to get us to cry out to God and say, all right, God, I, I surrender. I give. I wave the white flag. You are 
our God, and I will do what you want me to do. And that's where he's at. So I cried by reason of my affliction unto the Lord. He heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and now hurts my voice. Didn't we do any studying on um, Jonah this past week? Remember I mentioned that there are some theologians who believe that Jonah literally died? We look at that. Let's see that. Um, as I studied again this week, there were, I've done some more people who really believe that. I don't believe that, but um, there are some uh, good theologians who really believe that Jonah literally died and then rose again on the third day as a picture, a foreshadowing of what Jesus Christ was going to do. Um, again, I don't take that position, but it's an interesting position to take. You know, I, I, I don't believe he literally died here. I believe he, you know, figuratively uh, died. He was in the belly, in the grave there, so to speak, and God brought him um, back up. But it's an interesting concept to think about. Anyway, verse 3. For thou hadst cast me into the deep. I thought, I thought it was the sailors who cast him into the deep. Was it God? Well, it's God allowed it, right? God allowed them to do that, but he understood that I was in the deep because there was no other way for me to get through that storm other than for me to go into the deep because that's when the storm stopped. Otherwise, had I stayed on the boat and they refused to throw me over, what would happen to the boat? They all would have died, right? Because the boat would have been ripped apart. And so, so even there, Jonah understood that I need to be gracious to these sailors because they did nothing wrong. And I need to let them live because if they don't throw me over, they're going to die too. So he still had this compassion on people. It's not the minimums. So he said, Thou hast kissed me in the deep, in the midst of the seas, all the floods compassed me about. I thought he was in the belly of the fish. What's going on inside of the fish? Well, there's water, there's gastric juices, all thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then I said, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depths closed me round about. The weeds, the seaweed, were wrapped around my head. Can you imagine? I don't think you can fully imagine what he's experiencing and going through. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord, my God. Again, he's saying all this. He's thinking all of this. Is he writing all this down while he's in the belly of the whale? He just doesn't have a pen and paper, right? So he's looking back from after his resurrection, so to speak, after that, excuse me, after the whole scene is over. He's the one I believe who writes the book. And, and he gives his experience of what he was going through. But he's praying there, and he's quoting some scripture. So here's where I want to go to a few places of scripture. So you've heard some of what he said. We're going to get to verse 7 in a minute. He quotes another verse there. But I want us to run together and look at a few verses. And in light of what he just said, I want you to try to pick up some of the things that 
he's quoting from other places. You have to look at the place here, we'll come right back. But Psalm, they're all in Psalm. Psalm 42, let's go there, Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse number 7. And see if you can pick up a theme. And then we'll go back and read the verses that he was kind of quoting in, in Jonah and read them again. But try to see a theme that he's coming up and saying to you. Verse 7, Psalm 42, 7. Deep calleth unto deep at the noise of thy water spouts all thy waves and thy billows are gone over me. So there's a quote. Go back to Psalm 31. Psalm 31. Verse number 22. For I said, in mine haste, I am cut off from before thine eyes. Nevertheless, thou heardst the voice of my supplications when I cried unto thee. Psalm 5. Psalm 5, verse number 7. But as for me, I will come into thy house in the multitude of, in the multitude of thy mercy and in the in thy fear, I will worship toward thy holy temple. Psalm 40, verse number 12. Trying to do an order of what he was saying. So we're running back and forth. Psalm 40, verse number 12. He says this, For innumerable evils have compassed me about, and iniquities have taken hold upon me, so that I am not able to look up. They are more than the hairs of my head, therefore my heart faileth. And then last one is Psalm 69, verses 1 through 3. It says this, Save me, O God, for the waters have come in unto my soul. I sink in deep mire where there is no standing. I am come into the deep waters where the floods overflow, overflow me. I am weary of my crying. My throat is dry. My eyes fail while I wait for my God. Now go back to Jonah. And you think about some of those verses. I know it's, it's kind of hard. I had time to look at them all and kind of peruse them. You didn't have that time. But look at verse 2 again. Verses 2 to 6, and we read them again, and then see if you see a theme and maybe some of the verses that he quotes from as well. Verse 2, and I said, I cried by reason of my affliction out of, uh, unto the Lord, and he heard me out of the belly of hell, cried I, and thou heardst my voice. But thou hast cast me into the deep, in the midst of the seas, and the floods compass me about. All thy billows and thy waves passed over me. Then said I, I am cast out of thy sight, yet I will look again toward thy holy temple. The waters compassed me about, even to the soul. The depth closed me round about. The weeds were wrapped around my head. I went down to the bottoms of the mountains. The earth with her bars was about me forever. Yet thou hast brought up my life from corruption, O Lord my God. Now, there's not a right one answer here. But what are some themes or what are some things that you see, some things that 
you know, we can notice from those psalms and what's going on in Jonah's head? What's that? Yeah, the engulfing waters, the threatening me. I feel like I'm drowning, right? Um, and he literally was about to drown. And we've been there, right? Maybe not in water, but have your circumstances ever felt like you were drowning in your circumstances? And we understand that. And sometimes we, we know that those circumstances are coming sometimes because of our own rebellion of sin, but sometimes they're just coming because we live in a world that is filled with overwhelming, overwhelming circumstances. And we can say, I'm walking with the Lord, and I don't know why, I feel like I'm drowning. And the best time we sh should cry out to the Lord is when we feel like that. So good, good, what else? Yeah. Yeah. And again, he knew that. He knew, this is my fault. I'm in trouble, and it's my fault. Sometimes we're in trouble, and it's somebody else's fault. But sometimes we know that I'm in trouble. I'm in a dark situation and a problem, and it's my fault. However, I know this. If I cry out to the Lord, he will hear me. He will respond in a, in a kind and gracious way. Um, but whether it's us or whether it's somebody else, or whether it's just life in general, when we cry out to the Lord, there's a theme there that God hears me when I cry, because I'm one of his children. And in a very special, unique way, God hears us when we cry. Good, anybody else? Yeah. Yeah. Taylor's fear, right? Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And he's facing the fear. And, and there's nothing he can do about it, but know that I can't fix this. But God can. And again, when we're in a situation when I can't fix my problem, but God can, um, that's, that's a place that we can cry out to the Lord and, and, um, and uh, rest in his goodness and his kindness. So, uh, again, and there's some of the same themes that I saw. He's, he's in great trouble. He understands his own, his own fault, and yet he's crying out to the Lord, and God is hearing him. And um, that's, a, that's a great truth. Did he, we know he knew that, right? But did he feel like God was hearing him? No, because as he's crying out, where is he at? He's still in the whale, or the fish, whatever it is. He's still in the belly of that thing. And, and I'm sure he started crying out shortly after he arrived. And he's there for three days and three nights, crying out to the Lord, pouring his heart out, probably in and out of consciousness, and, and not sure what God is doing, but he's calling upon God. And as he's crying, as he's quoting scriptures and claiming the promises that God has given him to his word, doesn't feel like God hears him. And we've been there too. Like, where, where are you, Lord? I thought if I just got this right, but for whatever reason, he's not responding the way I thought he would, but he keeps calling, he keeps crying, he keeps praying. Verse number seven, notice what he says here. When my soul fainted within me, I remember the Lord. 
and my prayer came in unto thee, into thy holy temple. Again, he's, the word that's used there, when my soul fainted, it's actually the word, same word that's used in Psalm 77, when my heart was overwhelmed. You ever been overwhelmed by life, circumstances, trials, or problems? And, and he said, when, when I was overwhelmed, I remember the Lord. And my prayer came in unto thine holy temple. We're going to talk about God's temple in heaven on Sunday. We've been mentioning recently in Hebrews. But not too many people fully understood in the Old Testament time that the earthly temple was merely just a picture of the temple in heaven. And yet Jonah knew that truth too. That I'm not praying so that an earthly priest would pick up my knee and help me. Is there any around? I'm, I'm here in the ocean. But I know this, that there's a greater high priest in heaven, and there's a greater temple, and God resides there, and as far away as I am right now, I can cry, and he can hear me, and he's going to respond, and I believe that. Even though I am overwhelmed, I am fainting, spiritually and emotionally, I know this, I know where God is, and he will not be down. He'll never forsake me. Now, did he have the confidence that he was going to be brought up out of that fish? He could be brought up, right? Yeah. But he didn't know if he would live, but he understood this. God is going to bring me through this, dead or alive, and he will be faithful. And I need to get right with him. Because if this is my last day on earth, I want to be right with God. And so, so that's where he was. In verse number 8, it says this, They that forsake lying vanities forsake their own mercy. Um, we're not really sure exactly what that means. Let me have a different version. The first thing you say. I have hope of a steadfast love. I'm sorry? Hope of steadfast love. A hope of steadfast love, good. Lisa? Okay, mm -hmm. worthless, worthless idols, right? Um, you said verse 8. Verse 8. It says those who worship false gods turn their backs on all God's mercy. Okay, so worship false gods. And this, um, we're not sure exactly what he's thinking here, but I think one of the false gods. Oh, what false god did he have in mind? What was what false god was Jonah worshiping? Self, right? And in a sense, he was believing the lie that he told to himself that God will not be sovereign over my life. I will be sovereign. He's not going to tell me what to do. And he was a fool for believing his own lie. Because what happened? At the end of the day, he's like, all right, God. You're God, I surrender. But it took him to be in the belly of a fish to get to that point. I, I won't ask for any situations in your life, in my life, but we can probably all look back and say, man, I remember this time when I was so stubborn that God had to humble me. And I was fighting him and fighting him and fighting him, and finally God said, enough is enough. But we've been there, right? We understand what some of this feels like. Fortunately, God never put us in the belly of the fish, but 
God's put us in some circumstances that he, he wants to remind us, listen, I am sovereign. I will get your attention and you will surrender to me. Verse 9, but I will sacrifice unto thee with the voice of thanksgiving. I will pay that that I vowed. Salvation is of the Lord. So Jonah says to God in the belly of that fish, God, I'm going to sacrifice unto you with the voice of thanksgiving. Imagine thanking God in the belly of the fish. What's he thankful for? Yeah. So he comes to his senses. He realizes that God hasn't forsaken me. I'm here because God loves me. Because if, I, if, if God didn't love him, he could have just let him go his own way. But God loved me enough to send a storm, to send a fish, to get my attention, because he loved me that much. And so he could say, in everything, give thanks. This is the little guy of Christ Jesus concerning you. Because in the midst of that, he understood, listen, I, I am thankful that God didn't give up on and we need to be thankful that God doesn't give up on us. And then he says this, I'm going to pay that that I have vowed. What did he vow? Yeah, I'm going to serve the Lord. That um, ultimately, way back when God called him many years ago, his attitude was, you know, God, I'm, I'm going to surrender my life to you. No turning back, no turning back. And that's what God wants me to do. And in truth, we're told, we probably all did that at some point, didn't we? Well, when we got saved, we made Christ in our life, we might not have known all that he had for us, but our attitude was, at some point, Lord, I surrender all. The great song we sing from time to I surrender all. And if we've done that, we need to ask ourselves, is that where we're at today? Go to Matthew chapter 12. I want to see, before we get to, chapter, to verse 10, let's go to Matthew chapter 12. Because there's a, there's a text here that is used of Jesus, and he refers to Jonah. And I think it's important for us to understand exactly what Jesus meant here. So Matthew 12 is a great passage where Jesus is ministering among the people. He's doing some miracles. He's healing people. He's... He's just doing what he did, you know, normally. It wasn't, um, it was, wasn't probably an unusual day for Jesus. Um, but how did the Pharisees respond when Jesus would heal people? Yeah, they were indignant, they thought it was wrong, they didn't like it, you know. Um, yeah, he thought the devil, but he's doing good, right? But still, they hated him. Because he comes in a way that they didn't expect the Messiah to come, and so they just had to figure a way to destroy him. So, he goes on, he's doing some of these things. Um, let's skip down, because I don't have a lot of time here to finish this up. Go to verse number 38. It says this, Then certain of the scribes and of the Pharisees answered, saying, Master, we would see a sign from thee. So they're angry, indignant, we don't believe you, we don't like what you're doing, um, we don't think you're the Messiah, we just don't. So, if you're really the Messiah, Give us a sign. Hadn't he already given us some signs? <laughs> you know, like, 
How about I turn water into wine? Would that work? You know, how about if I heal people? How about if, but, you know, they, they just, like, give us a sign that you're the Messiah. Do it now. Do it in front of us right now. Boom. And then we'll believe you're the Messiah. They wouldn't. Um, they just wanted to discredit him. And he said this, verse 39. But he answered and said unto them, An evil and an adulterous generation seeketh after a sign, and there shall no sign be given to it but the sign of the prophet Jonah. For as Jonah was three days and three nights in the whale's belly, so shall the Son of Man be three days and three nights in the heart of the earth. So he's, he said, that's the sign. You want a sign? Remember Jonah? Remember the story? Of the Jonah, we know the story. Remember how he was in the belly of the whale three days and three nights? Well, I'm going to be in the belly of the earth three days and three nights, and I'm going to rise from the dead. That's the sign you're going to have. And Adrian, that's your sign. Then he said this, verse number 41. The men of Nineveh, shall rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it because they repented of the preaching of Jonah. The Lord greater than Jonah is here. So what did he just say about the people of Nineveh? They repented. They believed Jonah, right? Jonah preached the message. They repented. They got right with God. They're going to be judged, right? You people are going to be judged. You Pharisees, you're going to be judged by the people of Nineveh. That wicked generation. They're going to rise in judgment against you, and they're going to be able to stay and, and, and the great way through in judgment. No, no, we believe the message that came from God through Jonah. These people, these religious people, these people who were the, the fundamental people who believed the, the nth degree of the scriptures, except for salvation in Jesus Christ alone. They were the be-all and end-all when it came to religiosity in that day. And he said, you know what? The people of Nineveh will stand at your judgment and condemn you because you didn't believe it. Verse 42, the queen of the south, this is the queen of Sheba, she's going to rise in judgment with this generation and shall condemn it, for she came from the uttermost parts of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. Behold, the greater than Solomon is here. Remember the Queen of Sheba? She's, she wants to know, I heard about this guy Solomon who's got all this wealth and all of this wisdom and comes from this God, Jehovah, whoever that is, and she traveled about a thousand miles to go up personally to see him, and she meets with him, and at the end of the day, she's like, I didn't know that half of it. That's an amazing human being, which means his God must be that much more amazing. And she surrendered her life to worship Jehovah. And she didn't have a whole lot to go on. And he said, you know what? She's going to rise and judge you Pharisees too, because you're religious. You have scriptures memorized. You know what to do, but... You haven't embraced the Messiah. And I don't care what you have. If you don't embrace the Messiah, you will die in your sins and you will be judged forever. Verse 43. Uh, 
when an unclean spirit is going out of a man, he walketh through the dry place to seek a rest and findeth none. And then he saith, I will return to my house from whence I came out. And when he is come, he findeth it empty and swept and varnished. Then he goeth and take with himself seven other spirits, more wicked than himself, and they enter in and dwell there. And the last state of that man is worse than the first, even so shall it be unto this wicked generation. Again, he used another illustration. He says, it's like a, a, a guy who is demon-possessed. He's got one demon living inside of him, and somehow they cast the demon out, and this guy is just living, a, now he's living a normal, moral life. And a, the demon comes and sees him, and now his life has been cleaned up. He's moral again. He's not a drunk. He's not a drug addict. He's a moral person. He's like, well, that place is pretty clean. And he goes, it's six other demons, and he comes and takes over the guy again, because all the guy did is he was empty of demons and cleaned up, but he wasn't filled with God. And that's like a moral person in our world today, where they're moral, they're a good person, but they are not filled with God. He said, that's no good, and they will be judged one day. Verse 46, while he had talked to the people, behold, his mother and his brethren stood without, desiring to speak with him. Then one said, then behold, thy mother and thy brethren came without, desiring to speak with thee. But he answered and said, who, uh, unto them that told him, who is my mother? And who are my brethren? And he stretched forth his hands to the disciples and said, behold, my mother and my brethren, for whosoever shall do the will of my father, which is in heaven, the same is my brother and my sister and my mother. So he reminds them here, this great story where they're like, hey, your, your brothers and sisters, your mother outside, they want to talk to you. Why do they want to talk to them? Yeah, they always talk, right? Like, he, he, I think he's going off the edge here. Like, I understand Jesus thinks he's the Messiah, but enough is enough. He's going to hurt himself or hurt somebody else or they're going to kill him and we need to bring him back home and give him some therapy. I don't think his mother thought that, but his mother went with them. But his brothers and sisters didn't believe in the, the Messiah. And so Jesus said, you know what? You guys, the ones who have embraced me as your Messiah, you're my family. And the family of Jesus, what do they do? Verse 50, they do the will of the Father. So if you're part of my family, you do the will of the Father. So what is this story, those stories, and the story of Jonah, what does that have to do with me and my heart? Does Jesus call all of that in light of the fact that you want a sign? The sign is Jonah. And then he talks about some of those other things, and I think there's a, there's a principle there that Jesus wanted to get across to the Pharisees, the maid, you, what's he trying to get at with our heart? For that rebellion, right? Is it all about being spiritual people and just making sure you're doing all the right spiritual stuff? Pharisees did a lot of spiritual stuff, right? Exactly. Yeah. And that's where these guys were. They, they went through the motions. They were spiritual in 
practice, right? They were doing spiritual things, but their heart was far from God. Just like Jonah. Had he gone to Nineveh with the wrong heart, but he followed through with it, God could bless his actions, but he couldn't bless Jonah. Aren't you thankful he didn't do that? Oh, wait a minute, that's not true. That's exactly what he did. That's exactly what I do at times, and what you do at times, where we, where we know that I'm supposed to be moral, I'm supposed to have this air of spirituality about me, I'm supposed to read my Bible, I'm supposed to go to church, I'm supposed to pray, I'm supposed to be nice to people, and, and do a lot of that stuff, but sometimes the heart isn't right with God. We're not in fellowship with God. We just know that I'm supposed to be moral and right and religious. And sometimes we miss the heart. Just like we understand there's a lot of people, we say all the time, the distance between heaven and hell is 18 inches from the head to the heart. And so too, spirituality is that far away too. We will met people who are just you know, they've got standards like you can't imagine. But you know their heart's not with the Lord. We've done that. We've all done that. And, and so I think that's part of what God is trying to get across here with Jonah. That God wants more than just my body and my actions. He wants my heart. So we'll just close there. But... We get to verse 10 next week and look at the end result of that. But here, here's the question. How soft and how pliable is your heart in the hand of God? In the hand of God, is he, does he have a heart that is moldable, pliable, soft, and tender? Or is our heart rock hard, but we still just do the right things? We're moral. Religious, good, kind. But if God asks us to do something like this, we we say, "Hey, you throw me too," because I will not do that. And when there's anything in my life that God says to me, "I want you to do this," and we say, "No, no, no, I'm not. I'll do anything, but I'm not doing that." The heart's not pliable. He wants all. Thank you, Lord, for the night, and thank you so much for the story here of Jonah. What we've learned through it, and I pray that you would just help us to, to not just see Jonah, but Lord, that we would use this, as you tell us in the book of James, that we would use it as a spiritual mirror to look in our own hearts, to see what it is you want to change in us, in Jesus' name.